0: Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of
1: residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region.
0: No one country can solve this problem. There's
1: really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time.
0: Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I am Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, the podcast for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about the personal side of climate change, in particular their emotions, their emotional responses, uh, and you can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com, and you could support us at our Patreon, and today I'm talking with Panu, and Panu, I know uh, one of our interests is, for the, for us personally and for the listeners, is the journey that we're all on in terms of our understanding of climate change, and particularly our emotional coping and how we make sense and how we deal with some of these issues and threats and stuff like that. Um, And I know you've been working on a really big kind of, what I would say, a wisdom piece, a place, a thing that, a paper that you're pulling together a lot of the research and ideas for other scholars in, you know, for other academics and researchers, but you're also, you know, have this, this model pulling together things that I think is really practically useful for people. So we're talking about that today and we're going to jump into that. Wherever you want to start with that, either the background or currently what's on top of your mind. And we'll just chat about this today. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you, Thomas. Um, uh, in 2019, I, in Finland, I published the second. Book of mine about eco emotions and eco anxiety. So, that one was a sort of handbook about various feelings and emotions that we may experience in relation to environmental issues and modern human world. And in that book, I had a quite rudimentary. Uh, model uh, of the process of encountering the ecological state of the world. So that could be called the process of ego distress or process of eco anxiety. And that quite simple graphic figure was very helpful for many people. I got good feedback from from Mm. that. Uh, So that caused me uh, to think that whether that could be elaborated more because that wasn't a product of a long thinking process rather something uh, i designed at the end of writing the book so then especially from the beginning of 2021 i started thinking about this more seriously and also i had read many writings about the topic which were using a very famous stages model namely Mm. the five stages of grief by elizabeth kubler ross Uh, going back to the turn of the 1960s and 70s. And that's still by far the most famous model or frame of grief around the world, I, uh, so yeah. often people from various fields know, know about that. And I, I, I guess, Thomas, that was probably part of your training as a psychologist also, so, or do you remember when you when first came, came across Kubler-Rossi's
0: model? No, I think um I don't remember because I think it's one of those things that's in in the society and in the pop culture, and so we absorb it and then we take it as we take it as a given like maslow's Maslow's hierarchy of needs or one of these kinds of things, but they're not necessarily even literally true or they might have been you know sur- surpassed by other ideas in academia, but in these kind of stand the test of time because people need a they need a roadmap, they need some sort of model so. So you, you were inspired by this, but I think you're going, you're going beyond this, or you're, 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 you're taking this in another, another step forward. Yeah, you are exactly
1: right. And So the Kubler-Ross model, which is sometimes called DAPDA after the initials of the so-called stages, there's denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And, Mm -hmm. you know, those are things that may happen when people encounter grief and distress. But then, uh, as Thomas well knows, uh, scholars of grief and bereavement have criticized the model since the beginning uh, for a couple of reasons. One is that not all people go through all of these things. And the second one is that in practice, many people get the idea that this is linear, that, you know, I should move from denial to anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance and the third point is that sometimes in contemporary societies people think that one can reach acceptance and then that's that's it the grief mm-hmm. is past and of course there can be great advancement in in processes but it's not so simple uh, as uh, as I think many people realize that there's going to be changes in moods and when something comes up in life, you are reminded uh, of the person or thing that you have lost. And then it's very normal to have these mood changes. And now in the last years, people have been applying Kubler-Ross status of grief also, especially for climate grief. And I think there's a great need to apply the richness of scholarship from grief theory into this topic without giving the linear impression, even though there is some strength in many of the wordings in the Kubler-Ross frame. So that's part of the motivation for me to work on this. So I wanted to create a model which would be simple enough so that it can be understood pretty easily and could be used in education, for example, and perhaps even as a tool for self-reflection, but also that it would be more nuanced and that it would integrate the possibility and inevitability uh, or inevitability of mood changes and what might be called fluctuation or oscillation. And that wasn't an easy task. It was much more difficult than I thought it would be. And during the COVID-19, it certainly took me time to get that all figured figured out.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: So basically, the model is as follows. There is a chronological element, not stages, but phases. And in the middle, there is a... Three dimension part, what I'm calling coping and changing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I'll explain that more more in a bit. First, there is what I'm calling unknowing, and this is something we have discussed in the podcast recently, partly through the framework of blessed unknowing about the ecological crisis. Yeah then a complex period of Mm semi-consciousness, and some of these terms come from Edwards and Basel, the so-called waking up syndrome, Mm -hmm. a kind of classic text in eco-psychology, and something I think, Thomas, you have encountered quite early on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So so after this complex phase of semi-consciousness, where people may sort of know and not know at the same time, and desire not to know more, because it would be so troublesome to really take in all the information and the need for changes in one's life. But there usually comes some kind of realization and awakening, which then may lead people to different directions. Some people start engaging with the ecological crisis much more, or they just can't avoid it anymore. There may be distress of various kinds, and some people try to get away from the topic still which I think is very human, but of course, it often leads to severe problems, both in psychological lives of people, test cognitive dissonance and other things. And of course, uh, the ethical responsibility for our common planet is difficult to do if you try to move away from the topic altogether. Mm-hmm. So there may be various kinds of shock or stress and trauma, trauma here. Mm-hmm. And then, then comes the sort of heart of the model, this coping and changing. And as I heard you, Thomas, say many times, all, all models are inadequate, but some may be useful, to paraphrase a mm-hmm. bit. And this is very true yeah. of this model also, so it can't capture the fullness of what's going on, but it tries to capture enough, so that might be useful. And in coping and changing, after long work, I conceptualized three dimensions, which are action, grieving, which includes other emotional engagement, and thirdly, distancing, which includes both healthy self-care and problematic uh, avoidance. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that seemingly people need elements from all these three dimensions to adjust and transform in response to the state of the world. So uh, action is, is needed so that we can take better care uh, of the planet and our, ourselves, and it also may help psychologically, but as we've often talked in this podcast, if you just do action, you get in danger of the activist burnout and other stuff. Mm-hmm. And grieving and emotional engagement, of course, people grieve in character, as you say, Thomas, and have different takes on this, but encountering that change state of the world includes the need to encounter losses and changes, so that's the grieving part. And also there, if you just go very far in that without action and without relief, then you end up usually in in trouble. Mm -hmm. And the third part, uh, which is here called distancing, uh, is the part where you take some distance to to these matters. And the grief theorists um, Uh, very emphatically saying that we need that. And it's very normal for persons also to take breaks from the grieving process. And there are other things in life which demand our attention so that's that's healthy, but then again, if you only do distancing, you end up in disavowal or denial, and once again, you end up in trouble. Mm-hmm. So this is the sort of one of the main ideas that we need elements from all these three. But if we just do one of them overly much, then we end in end in trouble. Mm-hmm. How's that for you, Thomas? Uh, what what thoughts come come to your mind when when hearing all all this?
0: Yeah, though this is really great Pano. I'm following along and I have the, I have the luxury of looking at your, your figure that shows this, this graphic that shows your, your process. And we're going to put that, we'll put that in our show notes. And, you know, if you go to our website, each episode has a picture, some sort of picture and the, the picture for this episode will, will be this, this graphic. So it'd be like one of the slides that Panu shows. It'll make this, this come alive to people. But I think just for the listener and what I'm taking away too, I mean, there is a pathway here. There's some steps. I think the first part of this is the, you know, unknowing or semi-knowing or awakening or shock, you know, that waking up syndrome, which I think mm, (laughs) most listeners, I doubt people would be listening to this podcast if they didn't have that experience. So that captures, I think, where, where we're at. And I love the blessed unknowing stage that you talk about before the innocence that we had before we really took this on but then i see a bigger circle that has three three things inside of it there is this this like creative tension between moving toward action dealing with the emotions and then also pulling back a little bit and being able to kind of like have some some emotional distance or some being able to wait and stop be mindful so it's kind of that's the distancing i think is the most interesting in, in the sense that everybody everybody knows about emotions and actions. I think we're often toggling back and forth between anxiety and grief and fear, and, and then what are we gonna do about this? Uh, but that distancing is, um, that's that's like, oh, that's like this, this this little special lever that I can turn things up or down. So I think it'd be nice to chat a little more about that because you think that's really a key for self-care. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that question and all the,
1: all the comments. And it was difficult to choose a name for this dimension, which is now called distancing. At one point, I had avoidance there. I was thinking about disavoval also. So the trick is that it includes both the healthy forms and the sort of unhealthy forms if you do it overly much. So this is one of the reasons that the... I was searching for a word which captures both the problematic denial part and the healthy self-care part. And of course, uh, one can't find a perfect term which would capture all of that, that variety. But from the coping theory and grief theory, I found people who are using both distancing and avoidance also in the positive shade or positive tone pointing out that uh, it's normal also to do some, some people call it functional denial or healthy denial. I didn't want to put denial there, Mm -hmm. Uh, but I think you are very right, Thomas, that distancing is the sort of newest term which is linked here. And partly that comes from a very practical need, because I've met many young environmental activists who have great trouble in allowing themselves to do distancing and that's very understandable because the problems are so pressing it's so difficult to do structural change and so that sometimes they end up at the danger of burnout mm-hmm. uh, because not encountering emotions enough and not doing enough distancing and healthy self-care
0: yeah yeah no i think that's i think for all the listeners just thinking about this. I mean what I where I what I hear often is people will make it, some sort of joke about being an ostrich and having their head in the sand, which is that classic image. I don't actually know that ostriches really do that. We should explore that, but uh, I think ostriches are wiser than that. Um but uh but anyway, that's a common thing that I hear from a lot of people. People who are quite engaged and quite and quite intelligent and quite aware, but they're like, well, My head's in the sand, you know, and I so. But what you're saying is, it's okay to have our head in the sand sometimes. Yeah, it's all about balance,
1: you you, you know, and of course, action and emotional engagement are hugely important. But I don't think that as humans uh, in this very long emergency, as some authors call it, I don't think that we can make it through if we don't get the benefits of healthy distancing also, and. In a way, this is linked very much to the conversations we were having with Ro Randall some, some time ago in the podcast, mm-hmm. and she's been developing together with colleagues this living with the climate crisis model, which is which also reflects this change of needing to put more emphasis on how can we have the energy and do some uh, rejuvenation and recreation in in
0: order to stay, stay functional.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: So, if someone's too far in the head in the sand and they're comfortable there and they want to move out into the um into the emotional section, what do you think are some good ways to begin do you Do you talk about that at all in the article? Mm, uh,
1: I wish I could talk about it even more, but it's quite a long mm-hmm. long paper and definitely needs also some further further work but i've been very interested about this concept of so-called ecological emotional skills mm. so emotional skills uh, about ecological emotions and and i think we need many kinds of those but of course some methods are pretty universal you know lis- listening to what do you feel and also in your in your body trying to find names. This goes back to some of the content of our very early episodes of the podcast Mm -hmm. and then trying to develop an emotion, positive attitude, for example. And what I've seen in literature and some people is that if you have your head in the sand for a long time, there's a great danger of feeling actually shame underneath the armor you, you have. So I think skills related to encountering the threat of ecological guilt and shame are actually very much needed at that point. But of course, it's difficult to do alone or just start doing it, you know. So the help of safe support groups and discussion partners, I think might be very crucial, crucial there. Mm. And I'm also thinking of this concept of yours, Thomas, climate hostages, you know, realizing that all of us, we are both both victims and perpetrators in a, in a way. But because we are individuals, I think we really need to understand that we shouldn't take all the blame of the world on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. So those kinds of things that help you to, get, to be more okay with yourself. I think that's one important dynamic in moving towards emotional engagement. Starting with grief and sadness may be difficult if there is this guilt and shame dimension in the way. But what do you do, think, Thomas, and also reflecting on the many people you meet?
0: Yeah, I mean, this is I'm really enjoying our conversation because um, this is just another lens to think about these really complicated ideas. Um, it seems to me that if we... Take the um, safety of being the ostrich as a as a kind of a starting point. Then we kind of peek out of the sand a little bit and take in a little bit about what's going on. So some of it is taking small sips of this emotional stuff, you know, just a little bit here and there. Uh, but what I heard that I think I I personally think is really key is that we ha- it's easier to do this with other people. Uh, if we're stuck and, and lonely and and isolated, uh, it's really hard. Uh, But when we're with the people that understand what we're going through, then of course we just feel a little more able to express. So that's a universality of being in a group. So that's, that's, I think a super important takeaway. And then the other piece, and you might say more about this, but there there's uh, some of these emotions are, it's not that they're necessarily harder than others, but they, they get in the way of other emotions. So I think that shame and guilt there, those shame and guilt they stop us from expressing or maybe they keep us keep us isolated so i think if we can get over some of those they're kind of like clogs in the emotional river if we can work on those does that does that ring true to you that these are these are more more problematic emotions maybe yeah
1: yeah i definitely think think so and as we discussed in our podcast episode about ecological guilt it can also have many forms, and sometimes people use the word in very different connotations. So if we think about it broadly, of course, uh, as a sense of responsibility and having an ethical compass, there uh, being able to feel guilt is a very much needed part of human life. But then if you feel it very, very strongly and in a complicated way, then definitely, so so as you describe, and... Of course, the troubles in contemporary societies about grief in general, and ecological grief in particular, are one big obstacle here. Because contemporary industrial societies aren't very good at teaching, for example, children and young people skills in grief. And if that's, you know, basically totally foreign to people, the idea that it would be good to embrace grief and sadness because these those are emotions that help us they are not the problems or the enemies but there's some losses and then grief and sadness come to help us but this knowledge and wisdom is much missing from contemporary societies and that complicates things a lot and that's i think one of the reasons why the good grief network mm-hmm. which does things around ecological grief is so powerful yeah. it combines the social support and engagement with feelings of grief and sadness and even these dead cafes or climate emotion cafes mm-hmm. which may go into pretty deep and dark territory but they enable also this social support and going towards just the shared feelings of sadness but uh, what do you think about this sadness and grief dimension thomas i know you have a long history of uh, of dealing with that. So.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, well, what I'm thinking about, I'm thinking about the listeners who are saying, well, it's capitalism. You know, we're, we're supposed to be always in the US, rah, 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 cheer, cheer, cheer. <laughs> Everything's great. And um, don't be a downer. Don't be a Debbie Downer, you know. Um, and so this uh, grieving and shadow side stuff is just is radical. You know, it goes back to all this thing we talked about with you know, Joanna Macy and a lot of the work. It's radical to say, wait, I'm actually suffering here in my plenty, in my first world, in my first world. And so it is radical to, to bring that out and do that together. So, uh, yeah. And then, you know, I think the goal that I'm hearing from you is uh, your 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 um, distancing becomes a thing that you kind of, you um Move around like you like mm. I become an ostrich that keeps its head close to the sand mm. but not in the sand. So that i I have I have one eye, I'm peeking and I'm seeing, and then eventually I lift my head up a little higher, and then I can actually walk around with my head up, but I know that I can do my coping skills emotionally in my body so that I don't I don't have to like bury my head all the way. Like I, I learn to kind of take care of myself. The distancing becomes really dynamic, like in the sense of I'm I'm always adjusting it. It's like a balancing act, kind of thing. Is that like a dance yeah. or a balancing act or some sort of embodied? Um, I'm not sure what the image you would use.
1: Yeah, yeah. Thanks for that, Thomas. I think that's very, very prof- profound. And I'm arguing that flexibility and awareness are some key issues in moving forward in coping and changing. Flexibility. Yeah. yeah so, so actually the, the model ends with another circle. There's an arrow called adjusting and transforming the work of plants mm. early from Australia has been one influence here and theories of so-called post-traumatic growth, mm. which deal with different kinds of troubles and stressors, not just with huge traumas, but also with them. So the idea is that of these three dimensions the subtitles become the main titles so instead of grieving which includes auto emotional engagement when you are able uh, through many factors to adjust and transform then auto emotional engagement is the main title and grieving the subtitle and also self-care becomes the overriding form and then you are able to use distancing when you need it. So you have the skill of putting your head in the sand when things become too much, but you are also able to move towards things. And I'm fascinated by the image of ostrich here because they they look very slow, but you know, when they start running, they are very, very fast. So, so that's actually a mm-hmm. funny, funny image of an ostrich which has these skills. Of also running fast, putting the head in the sand, if necessary. I don't know if ostriches is are able to cry, but uh, hum- humans mm-hmm. definitely need that skill too. So
0: yeah, and our apologies to ostriches and to and to folks that are listening that are that that are natural historians and do understand this speaks to our own kind of uh, anthropocentric world where we use these animals as symbols. But obviously all animals like ostriches are highly evolved for their landscape and they've got that long neck to, to find their food in the trees and they, they can run fast from predators and all this sort of stuff. And so, yeah, we do want to become, I guess, you know, we're, we're all trying to become evolved, you know, highly evolved, um, for this landscape. And so something we might, we might have an episode about the ostrich, um, effect, because I think we, I'm just kind of brainstorming now and I'll, I'll. I'll keep it short because I know this is focused on your model, but uh, where I'm starting to think as well, how do we evolve? Like I need to have long legs to run away from threats. I need to be able to hide if I need to. And I also need to have a long neck so I can see really far and see these big issues. And so like, I don't know what the the climate creature would look like that would be highly evolved. You know what I mean? Though it's interesting um, what that would be. We've got a few minutes and you know, listeners are saying, Okay, what's what's in it for me here? How do I understand? So they could be in any place. Do you do you have a like an example of a real person or some sort of way that this is works out so someone might be able to try it on for size, like anybody that you know mm-hmm. that has gone through this? Yeah, in, in the article I'm using a
1: couple of quotes from Sally Gillespie an Australian psychotherapist who has written a, a very fine book on climate crisis and consciousness, and she is definitely one who has gone through many, many things on her climate emotion journey, and she is open about it and, and mentioning that, for example, apocalyptic dreams don't haunt her as they used to at, at some points. There's there's mood changes still, but generally there is more flexibility. There there is experience of meaning meaning in in life. So I think the quotes from Gillespie are important examples coming from someone who has gone pretty pretty far on, on the journey that I'm trying to conceptualize, at least in a helpful way, even though one cannot capture all the all the dynamics here. Joanna Maisy, who we named I think is, is another example of an kind of elder who has really, really gone, gone, gone through through this and in in, in, in many, many, many books and essays there's examples of, of people in various positions Uh, And it's different for different people in different contexts, which may sound like a cliche or understatement, but I think it's very important to emphasize that there's a lot of factors affecting this. So this is not a Olympic race and it's not just up to the individual, but people are in very different positions concerning the factors which affect them.
0: So I think it's helpful, uh, even back to the New York Times story that came out earlier this year with, with... Talked about me working with different people. I see th- different people recognized in in your model. I mean, I see some people that are so so over on action that they haven't really ever um, spent a lot of time on the emotion side at all. I see some people, unfortunately, that are swallowed up by their grieving, and they would love to put their head in the sand, but they can't. They can't do it, and they, you know. So that's, I think, for some listeners, it's just it's just it's hard. And then i think some people are so so distanced that they have a hard time imagining either action or emotion so um i think that's the that's the challenging part but i think we all we all have our unique recipe like where our where our strengths lie so you what you're talking about is trying to do like one-third 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 or something like that where we take care of ourselves for one-third and we take action for one-third and we have emotions for one-third that's highly simplistic but that's that would be interesting to practice on a given day exactly Thomas and thanks for
1: sharing those observations of people people who you meet and we, we'd love to hear from you our, our dear 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 listeners so what does it evoke in you so uh, you can reach us through our website www.climichanceandhappiness.com and if you have uh, close trusted people who you can talk about with these these things so that's one possibility to you, use the model or the basic ideas to, and just to reflect on some 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 of that and uh, i know that for the people i've shared the model with before uh, getting it into the publication process it has generated very interesting conversations where often people look back and think think about that hey when I was in on the upper levels of elementary school, I had this awakening, but it was so so difficult that I tried to go back to semi-consciousness, but that uh, and that worked for a couple of years, but not more. So, so it may also evoke this looking back. And I know Thomas, that that's one method that you use in your work, you know, doing this sort of timelines and thinking about our personal histories, both in relation to so-called ecological I- identity and the happenings in our lives. So. Uh, hopefully,
0: the model might be using that kind of work, too. Yeah, there's no, can't, no going backward on the process. Once we have that awakening, we have to move forward. And so you're giving us some tools for that. So well, uh, folks, I hope this is helpful. You know, even though you might be alone today, in some ways, you're not alone with us because that's what this podcast is meant to be, is, is a place where we all can share this together. Again, you can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com and support us at our Patreon, and we'll keep bringing these in-depth discussions to you. And you all, good luck on um, keeping your head slightly out of the sand, but um, getting together with other people that you can do action together with. Take care of yourselves. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.